This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Robin Hills. Robin is the director of ei for change a company specialized in emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience. He's taught more than 250,000 students how to build resilience, increase self-awareness, and understanding of others. He's also the author of two books and has developed the experiential coaching methodology, Images of Resilience, and sits on the Northwest Committee of the Association of Business Psychology. Thanks so much for joining me today, Robin. It's a wonderful pleasure to be here with you today, Diane. Thank you. Absolutely. It is a pleasure to have you here. And we are going to be talking about emotional intelligence and, uh, you know, its importance in business. Um, So I would really like to start with just a foundation of would you please explain to the listeners what is emotional intelligence? Oh, I I think that's an absolute fundamental before we start talking, because most people will have a view as to what emotional intelligence is. It's made up of two words, emotional and intelligence. Do the two combine together? Yes, they do. Uh, Now, most people are very aware of cognitive intelligence, which is IQ, which is easily measured. Emotional intelligence is easily measured, but with certain caveats, and I'll come on to those later. But emotional intelligence, very simply, is the way in which you combine your thinking with your feelings in order to make good quality decisions and build up authentic relationships. That's it but it's very difficult to put into practice. It sounds so easy, right? Oh, I wish it was. Am I emotionally intelligent, Diane? Um, If I say no, what on earth am I doing in the field of emotional intelligence? (laughs) But if I say yes, it's rather arrogant and self-conceited and suggests that there's no room for improvement. It depends. I mean, there are certain circumstances that I'll go into and I'll come out of it and think, yeah, 
that went really well. I'm pleased in which, uh, pleased about the way in which I handled myself. I'm, I'm pleased with the way in which I work with the emotions, the emotional climate, my own and other people's. And there'll be other occasions where I come out of a similar situation and I'll not feel good because I've screwed up. I'm human like anybody else. So uh, we just got to accept that it's work in progress and we're still learning and we can still get better and we can still learn to become more emotionally intelligent. Yeah, boy, I, I that so resonates with me. I, I find myself in those same situations and I think afterward, you know, I, I should know better, right? <laughs> I, I, I should not have communicated that way. Yeah. And uh, there are going to be certain things which creep in to affect the way in which we are emotionally engaged with the people, the environment and the things around us. The time of day, the time of month, what we've had for breakfast, how we're feeling that day, whether we're feeling tired, hungry, um, whether we are feeling a little bit under the weather. All of these things are going to impact on the way in which we engage with other people and with the world around us. Yeah, so true. And will, will you talk some about how emotions um, are involved in really driving the climate within an organization? Yes, I, I think it's important to point out to the listeners something which is probably obviously aware, uh, they're obviously aware of, but they need to be more consciously aware of, and that's the fact that their mood as a leader is going to dictate the climate that people are working within. So I often speak to leaders who tell me that they want their people to be happy and contented working in the environment that they create. And I say to them, well, how are you leading them? And when I talk through how they're leading them, they're leading them with fear and with anger if things just don't go right. Well, that's not a conducive environment for good quality work. If people are always looking over their shoulder or trying to make sure that they are doing the right thing. So it's up to the leader to actually manage their own emotions through emotional intelligence in order that they can create the climate with their people. If they aren't able to do that, why are they in a leadership position? Boy, that's a good question. And, and it is funny, isn't it, that so many leaders have an expectation that their people are going to show up a certain way, but they aren't necessarily paying attention to how they're showing up. Yes, that, that's right. And I think it's the leader's responsibility to decide how they're going to show up. Now, I, look, let, let's be realistic about this because we're talking about business enterprises here. There are going to be times when difficult conversations need to be had because performance is under par. So how do you manage the emotions in the most appropriate way to get the performance that you need and keep the people on your side? That is a leadership challenge. And that's why leaders are paid far more in the scheme of things in order to lead effectively. They're not managers their leaders and there's a big difference excuse me well that is for sure and and that really is one of my questions how can leaders work with their emotions more effectively 
Well, if we start to unpick emotional intelligence, as it was defined by Daniel Goldman 25 years ago, we'll find that there are effectively five components of emotional intelligence. I'll take the outer world first, and that's the outer world of uh, empathizing with other people, seeing it from their viewpoint. And then the outer world of social skills and communication skills that engages people in the right way. The inner world component, which is really fundamental to your question, is what leaders should be aware of. And leaders should be aware of what's going on inside their head, their body, their being. So they need to develop self-awareness. And it's not just a, a case of understanding, oh, I'm good at this and I'm poor at that. It's a case of actually understanding how their behavior, how their strengths and liabilities impact upon other people and how that impacts upon their performance. And then the other thing with regards to emotions is how do they regulate their emotions in an appropriate way? not deny their emotions, but actually say to themselves, uh, this emotion I'm feeling at the moment is, well, let's just go with a basic emotion. The, uh, this emotion that I'm feeling at the moment is anger. Why am I angry? And what do I do with it? And how do I work with that anger? Now, often we'll feel anger because somebody has actually gone against one of our core values and they've actually transgressed in the way in which we expected them to behave. So what we should be doing is actually saying, right, that's the piece of information that I need. How am I going to utilize this anger in the most appropriate way? How can I use it with laser sharp precision to right the wrong, to deal with the issue and then move on? How can I build the relationship? How can I help the person to do better next time? And that takes, it's very easy to say, and very easy to say in a very calm manner, but it takes a lot of emotional regulation. Well, no kidding, because you're, you're saying that and I'm thinking, okay, so that's one of the differences is making sure that you're not reacting, that you're giving yourself an opportunity to respond, which, which yes. is tough to do when you're experiencing anger. Oh, it is. And I think this is all part of the learning. So uh, if you do have a knee-jerk reaction and you're then dealing with the fallout from that, you learn from it and think to yourself, right, okay, perhaps I shouldn't have done it that way. Perhaps this is a better way of doing it. And actually respond to feedback from other people who will be looking to you and giving you this information so that you can learn through it. Now, a good leader will take on board that information. They might not like what they hear, but they'll take on board that information and they'll work with it and they will try to do better next time. Yeah. Before, before I say anything else, Diane, I think it's important to cover the fifth component of emotional right. intelligence that I mentioned before we forget it. And that's motivation. 
and motivation sits across the inner world and the outer world. How do I motivate myself to do all this? Because without, it, without motivation, I might as well give up and go home. And then how do I motivate others? And uh, that, I think, is a core component that we can look at, particularly in these times when we're faced with utilizing difficult emotions. Okay, so <laughs> motivation is an interesting thing. Oh, isn't because, it just? Right? I, you know, because I'm not really sure we can motivate other people, but, but, you know, can you talk some more about how can we, you know, in, in terms of how do we use this information in a positive way to help everyone be as productive as possible? you know, feel as they're contributing and, and valued and, you know, all the good stuff. Yeah, I think, I think it is um, hard. It's very, very hard, but it, it, it uses a very, very, very simple um, leadership capability, which again is not an easy one to master, and that's coaching. So if you don't know what motivates another person, if you don't know how to improve their performance, if you don't know what support they need, you ask them and you listen to the answer. <laughs> it's very easy to say that, but oh boy, isn't it hard to do? Because leaders have been put into a position where they think that they know all the answers yeah. and they're not, they're not being a good leader if they don't give people the answers that the person is looking for, rather than getting them to look within and say, okay, I've actually got the answer. I just need my leader's support in terms of doing it this way. So great, it is so great. So leaders have to realize that A, they don't have all the answers, B, they're not supposed to have all the answers to everything, right? Absolutely. I, you know, the part of good leadership is having the confidence and having the trust to be able to show a level of vulnerability and to actually work with people by saying, hey, we're in this together. Now I will I will stand in the firing line and take the hits for you, but you've actually got to be there supporting me to make sure that I'm doing the best possible job for you as a leader. So it's a two-way process, but the leader needs to lead that because the people are looking for leadership. People are looking to be guided. People are looking for inspiration. People are looking for, dare I say it, motivation. <laughs> Okay, now um, let's talk some about understanding how people um, experience emotions like during change, because change is inevitable and constant. However, uh, sometimes change is more of an upheaval than other times. Like the past couple of years have been a lot of really interesting change and changes within a company can be uh, dramatic for people. So how do you think managers, leaders um, work with that? Uh, I think the important thing with regards to emotions in change, it's very like emotions in most situations, the way in which you experience the 
uh, situation will be different from the way in which I experience the situation. Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to circumstances. It's what's going on in other people's lives. I mean, I mean if they are going through a, an acrimonious divorce, they're arguing with their children all the time. They've got money worries. They're worried about losing their job. Uh, uh, they have a, an elderly parent who needs constant attention. Uh, they're, they're, all these are going on in the background for many, many people, uh, or various shades of those are going on in the background for many, many people. And then some kind of major change at work goes on. Some people will be able to stand up and face it and work through it without ruffling a feather or ruffling a hair. Uh, and then other people, it, it will be devastating to them. And uh, how I go through change will vary according to various uh, circumstances and situations. Um, when I was working in the corporate world many years ago, uh, we were undergoing change so regularly that I would often go into the festive period around Christmas, not knowing whether I had a job in the new year or not. And wow. That happened, that happened, oh, five, five years out of seven. And um, so after about the fifth time, one gets to a point where one says to oneself, okay, bring it on. If I get made redundant, I get made redundant. I'm just actually a bit fed up and a bit bored with this, which is a completely different reaction to the first time that it happened. Now, fortunately, it didn't then lead to a redundancy in that short time period. It, it did at a, a further point down the line. But it also meant that I was actually a lot more prepared for it. And I was actually able to face that situation and work through it without really showing too much in the way of unpleasant emotions or feeling intense emotions, which stopped me from making plans for the future. Yeah, wow. I, you know, I got to tell you, one of the things I love about what you were talking about is that we have to remember that different people experience change or upheaval or life or whatever it is very differently. And we can't expect other people to react or respond the way that we do. And I think that's fundamentally important for leaders to recognize and to realize because they've gone through the change curve. I'll come back to the change curve in a minute, okay. but they've gone through the change curve relatively quickly with a, a very small amplitude. And they look back and they think, well, why isn't everybody else coming along with me? It's due to a whole host of factors. And it's the leader's responsibility to go back into the change curve and to ask those coaching questions. Where, where are you? What's happening for you? How are you feeling at the moment? Um, how can I help? How can I support you? What is it that you need from me? Um, now, a lot of leaders would be concerned to do that almost fearful, frightened. They, that, that's an emotional reaction that they have in terms of doing that because they will be met by a lot of unpleasant emotions. They'll be met by fear. They'll be met by threat. They'll be met with hostility. They'll be met with denial. They'll be met with anger. 
and they're going to have to manage that. And so uh, some of the leaders may have gone through the change curve, may themselves be in some form of denial around the fact that they've undergone an emotional transition themselves uh, because they want to show solidity or um, uh, the fact that they're good leaders or, or whatever it is. I'm not too sure what the mindset is, but they feel that they have to show the rest of the world that they're quite capable and they're quite resilient, which I'll put in inverted commas. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transform, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. But let's talk about resiliency. What yeah, is sure. the role of resilience in emotional intelligence? Well, resilience doesn't actually sit within the emotional intelligence model of Daniel Goldman that I defined. It's actually built into other emotional intelligence models that have been built upon before and even since Daniel Goldman. And within those models, you've got decision-making as core components of emotional intelligence and stress management. Now, resilience will sit within stress management, but I think we've got to look at resilience and, and think about resilience in a different way to the way in which most people think about resilience. Resilience is not about bouncing back. Uh, resilience is um, really making the most of the situation that you find yourself in. You might not like it, but that's the reality of the situation. So you then have a look at your core values and say, I am going to make my life meaningful by working through this. And then you use your adaptability and your flexibility and your creativity to make the best of that situation and work through it. And having them work through it, you will be better, stronger, and you will have grown through that experience and indeed be a better leader. Wow, that's so great. It's not about bouncing back. It's really about moving forward. It is. I think if we look at the situation that is currently being faced by the Ukrainians mm -hmm. with the war that is going on there, yeah. the definition of resilience around bouncing back is rather insulting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. 
I think I think it's a really valid point. Um, and and I think really, you know, it always helps keep put things in perspective. That that is, I mean, my gosh, what is going on over there is remarkable, but but is really the definition of resilience, right? These folks are figuring out how to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And then wow. if you look at the definition that I've given you, it works perfectly for them. Yeah. I, I, I don't like having to say that, but that's what they're facing. And yeah. some of those people will come through and they're going to be better. Uh, they're going to be better men and they're going to be better human beings than I will ever be. Yeah, I, I feel that. I, I me too. I, I to, and thank you for bringing that up. I think it's absolutely relevant, um, and really dri drives the point home. Um, I do want to circle back to the change curve. Can you explain sure. what that is? Yes, uh, most people are very familiar with the Kubler-Ross change curve, which looks at emotions going through grief. And it's a very powerful change curve when people are faced with very, very intense emotions or very intense life-changing situations, which leads to quite intense grief. Now, most change within organizations are not at that level of intensity. So my preference is to look to John M. Fisher's change curve, which actually brings in even more emotions. It doesn't denigrate or take anything away from the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross change curve, but actually um, supports it. But it's more focused on a business environment and therefore, for me, has much more relevancy. And the other thing is with John's curve is, is it allows people to move on and off the curve. So we start with a level of anxiety when the change is announced. Oh, I'm under a degree of threat here. Can I cope? And then that transforms itself into a feeling, a pleasant feeling of, of happiness, if we can label it that way. At last, something is going to change. So people are actually then starting to look forward to it. And then the realization hits them and they start feeling threatened and they start feeling fearful and they start to go down the curve um, and they will become angry and they will try to change things back to the way that they things were and they will also try and blame anybody and everybody else for the change and the way in which they're feeling and then after a while there's this realization that hits them and then they start feeling a little bit guilty did I say that did I do that surely I could cope with this and then after that we then get them right into the depths of despair or depression where they actually start to question who they are and whether they have got the capabilities and the wherewithal to be a part of the changes it's happening um, they may be hostile towards other people, but eventually they may come to the terms with it and say, look, I'm going to make this work even if it kills me. 
And then there's a level of gradual acceptance as people come out the other side and they start looking forward to the future. They get their control back and they start seeing a relevance of where they are within the organization and how they can affect the change. Now, as I've said, there are a couple of um, points where people can leave the curve and people can leave the curve and get stuck in this hostility and uh, they really want to keep the old processes and the old ways of working going and then you get some people who will come off the curve and go into complete denial they'll they pretend that things are just not happening and also we've got to allow for people who get so disillusioned with the situation, either dissolution with themselves, the management or the organization, they choose to leave. And in that way, there's no point in putting them back on the curve. You need to give them all the support that they need in order to find the job that will suit them for the future. Yeah, I, I, it's, that's interesting. I, I think um, people have to get more used to that idea that it's okay if it, it you know that the time comes that this is not a good fit anymore but i am curious about how leader is i guess my question is is there a way that a leader could help someone not experience some of those um, stops along the curve well, I, I think it goes back to the conversation that we had a few minutes ago, because everybody will be experiencing the curve in different ways at different times with different circumstances going on around them. And uh, um, I will, when I go through the change curve, sometimes I, I surprise myself by thinking, I'm feeling a, a level of intensity here that I wasn't expecting. So, um, Sometimes I'll go through a situation and come out the other end and think, well, perhaps I ought to have been a little bit more concerned about it. So that's me personally. So a leader going in and into the change curve and, and helping people, I think it's just a case of saying, look, where are you? Um, how can I help? What support can I give you? And take the judgment out. If somebody's feeling very depressed and uh, almost to the point of clinical depression and they're going through despair, then uh, you can't say to somebody, look, buck your ideas up. It'll be all right in the end. It's a case of, well, what, what do you need? Do you need how can I help? How can I support you? And it's listening to those answers. The person may need a week off, a week off just to do anything but worry about work. Uh, they may need to um, have a lot of work because they're a little bit bored and a little bit frustrated because things aren't happening as quickly as they should be. So I think the important thing is going back to what I've said all along, it's up to the leaders to ask the questions of their people. Yeah, I, I love that. And, and interestingly, one of the things that comes into my mind is um, that it provides for the employee to maintain ownership of whatever they are experiencing. 
So the leader isn't taking it on and saying, I'm going to fix this for you, or I'm going to tell you not to experience it. The leader's asking questions. And, and then when they are asking, how can we support you? How can we help you with that? It's still the, the employee's situation to answer that question and, and maintain ownership of it. It, it is, and uh, it brings into play a number of good leadership principles here. And one is the fact that you're allowing that person to be emotionally intelligent so they take ownership of their own emotions. But you're also then, as a leader, creating the right climate for people to share and express their emotions without fear without fear of judgment or without fear of the fact that it's going to be detrimental to their long-term career prospects. Yeah, that, that feels like something that um, I think could potentially be challenging for leaders. You know, as I was listening to you and, you know, they might need a week off. I, I'm all about that. I, but I think a lot of leaders might bristle at that whole concept of meeting their employee where they are and making sure that they have what they need in order to move forward. Sure, and I think we've got to put a degree of realism on here, Diane, because um, leaders have their own targets, they have their own budgets to work with, they have their own objectives to deliver against and if somebody's taking time out of the business in order to get their head together and I, I'm stressing those words in to be taken in whatever way you want but if they're uh, allowing that then it's impacting upon the rest of the team it's impacting upon the resources that they've got available to deliver the tasks in hand but again it's very much up to the leader to manage that situation and it's up to the leader to manage upwards and uh, I, I, I think that is a big challenge for a lot of leaders. A lot of leaders see themselves as very much uh, a shepherd with a flock of sheep, but uh, they're not then responsible to the farm overall or the farmer and saying, look, we can't do this for these reasons. And then those leaders have the responsibility to listen and to work with it. And it, it compounds itself all the way up the system and all the way down the system so I think all we've got to do here is to look at the level of realism and say right this is the theory this is the nice to do these are my values how can I work with them to make it happen in the most appropriate way right absolutely absolutely now this this is also a place where um once again, a small business owner has a lot of flexibility because they are the top of the chain, right? Sure. So they, they, they get to make these decisions in a way that is what's best for their business and what's best for everyone connected to it. Sure. And I, I think a lot of um, managers and owners of businesses um, have moved from 
doing everything themselves to handing over responsibility to other people. And that's not easy. Mm. And that's not easy without kind of micromanaging. And then if somebody is there who is not capable of doing what is required. And again, we've got targets, we've got objectives, we've got KPIs, we've got, uh, you name it, everybody's trying to uh, hit this, these particular targets and to do it in a timely way and in a cost efficient way. Uh, if somebody is there not being able to do that, then the leader either has to redefine the targets or they've kind of got to buy in more resource. And these are not easy decisions to make. Uh, it's very, very easy for you and I to sit here and talk about the theory. But when the push comes to the shove, the leader does what is most, uh, most effective and they have to take the responsibility for making those decisions that they need to make. But as their businesses grow and they become bigger and bigger and bigger, the business itself has to be redefined because the most important resource there and what will deliver the business is the people. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Good yeah, point. but I, I, you know, I can ask a, a, a great rhetorical question that um, somebody asked of me many years ago and it stuck with me and I'll ask it of your listeners to challenge them what is your organization um, so if you look at EI for change which is my company emotional intelligence for change what is it is it the products that we've got? Is it the building that I sit in? Is it me? Is it my car? Is it my logo? What is EI for change? EI for change doesn't exist without people. So really EI for change as an organization uh, is not any of those things I've mentioned. It's a network and it's a network that I and the rest of my company are influencing in order to help people grow and develop. So if you look at an organization and ask that question, the answer is the same, but most people would think, oh, it's, it's our logo, it's our product. Um, oh, it's head office, which is in Michigan or it's in Ohio or wherever it is, it's not. It's the network of people that makes the organization. It's not the shareholders. It's not uh, how the value of the organization. It's not the bricks and mortar. It's not the products. It's, it's not even the suppliers. It, it's, it's that network. Yeah, that, that's a great point. That, that is a great point. And so one of the things that I've been hearing through this is um, the, the, the value of coaching of helping people, you know, understand their own emotional status and then what they can do with it. Um, and that feels like something that is learned that not everyone comes to naturally, even, you know, not all leaders. Oh, sure. I think uh, if I was to actually look at my coaching capabilities, uh, and I've been coaching for many years, I still look at it and think, well, I could do better. Um, and it's asking the most appropriate question in the most appropriate way 
for that particular person. Um, and it's not coming up with an answer. It's not being creative. It's not having the answer. It's being able to use your creativity in terms of listening and then formulating a question that will allow the, the person to go away, think and put in practice what they believe is the right solution. Yeah, yeah, it, it's so valuable because that is so empowering then for everyone involved. Almost oh, definitely, most definitely. Yeah. This is so interesting um, on, on a lot of levels. Like I'm aware of emotional intelligence. Uh, and as we were talking before, you know, none of us are really perfect at looking into it all the time, but I think especially in today's climate and moving forward, it's, it feels like it's becoming more and more important that leaders understand not just the concept, but the practical application of the concept. Yes, that, that's right. And I think uh, when Daniel Goldman first published his books in 1995, 96, he bought the construct of emotional intelligence out of academia and put it into the public arena. Uh, however, his first few books were very good at describing the what, where it, they kind of stopped and um, rightly so, because they're very good books as they are. But where they fell down is that they didn't describe the how. And I think over the last 25 years, a lot of people are actually saying, well, this is a very nice construct, but how do we use it? And through some of the conversations that we've had this afternoon, it's afternoon here in the United Kingdom, Diane, um, this afternoon uh, is suggesting really that um, we've got to be looking at all of these components and recognizing that to even master one of them is going to be incredibly difficult. So um, we will, I, I liken it to being a concert pianist. Uh, you go in as a pianist, you've practiced your art, you play your piece in front of an audience. They think you are an absolute maestro. They go out, they've been entertained, they've had a wonderful evening. Now, any pianist worth their salt would be able to look at their performance and say, oh, I didn't do particularly well there in the second movement. I was ahead of the orchestra. Um, I didn't notice that the brass kicked in a little bit later than it should have done in a, in the third movement. And they're looking at dissecting their art and their work in order to make it better. Now, their emotions around that, not necessarily going to be as pleasant as the people who've really thoroughly enjoyed the evening. But it's right that that maestro should do that because they will never be absolutely perfect. And they are looking at mastery here, which is a, a complete unattainable. And I think we've got to look at emotional intelligence that way. That's great. I love that analogy. I, I can totally relate to that. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I think if we could put in the, um, the the capability and the competency of coaching within there, I think it works perfectly as yeah. well. 
so true. <laughs> oh my gosh, Robin, I, I've enjoyed this conversation tremendously. I thank you so much for spending this time with me. Will you let the listeners know, you know, how they can find you, whatever you've got going on that you think they should know, please? Yeah, sure. Um, I, if anybody wants to contact me, I'm very open to people communicating with me. They can find me on LinkedIn or they can contact me, robin at ei4change.com. Now that's ei with the number four change.com. And it's Robin as in the little bird, not the uh, female American version of the name Robin. And uh, if anybody wants to look up the courses, uh, it's www. That's an important part of the URL, I'm afraid, but it's www.emotional-intelligence.courses. And you'll be able to see all the courses that I've got available around the subject of emotional intelligence, which will build upon the what and give you a lot more around the how. Yeah, which is so incredibly important. Will you repeat that URL? I want to make sure I get it in the show notes. Yes, it's www.emotional hyphen, that's a, a small dash, mm -hmm. intelligence.courses. Okay. And if you want to drop the hyphen and just have emotional intelligence or one word dot courses, that will work as well. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them that. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave it up to you, Diane. You yeah. know your listeners. You know your listeners better than I do. <laughs> we'll give them every way possible to find the information because it's so important. Well, yeah. again, Robin, thank you very much for um, sharing your knowledge with the listeners. I think it was incredibly valuable. Thank you ever so much, Diane. Uh, if people go to ei4change.com. There is a link there where they can download a free book, Develop Your Emotional Intelligence. And uh, again, that gives some hints and tips on how to work with emotional intelligence. Oh, that's so great. I will absolutely make sure that that is there. Thank you for that. That's great. Diane, thank you. That's been excellent. Really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Me too. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. You are who we're doing this for. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We, we out. out.